Unless you've been living under a rock, you would see that the price of Bitcoin has skyrocketed in the last months. And if you're one of the lucky first or early movers, then now you're rich. Well done. But for the rest of us mere mortals, the question is, what is the next big investment? How is it that you're going to be able to 10x your fortunes in the coming months and years? Well, I have an answer for you. So stick around till the end of this video where I reveal my investment secrets for 2021. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. All right, I'll get straight to the point. The answer is platinum coins. Forget about gold, silver, crypto, whatever it is, platinum. You know why? Because a friend of mine told me that in the future, ammonia is going to be the next big thing in energy production and uh, one year of constant five gigawatts electrical energy on one tank of ammonia, and the catalyst is made of platinum, so they're gonna need heaps of platinum. No, that was a joke. And for, for anyone who just like switched off the video then, then there's an article, man invests children's college fund in platinum coins and they tank. Well, that'll teach you not to watch the entire video. No, I'm not gonna be talking, as a spoiler, I'm not gonna be talking about any financial investment in a thing, whether it's crypto or property or whatever in this video. I'm going to be looking at different types of currencies that truly can 10x the results in your life. And throwing that around, there's a lot of people who throw that around, right? Like to to 10x your investment. And I think it's kind of human nature to want to have that that experience where it's like, I don't want to like invest in some boring thing like stocks and bonds where maybe I get a five to 10% increase over time. People want to double, triple, quadruple and quintuple, quintuple, whatever their, their cash without any work, which is why get rich quick schemes are so attractive and lucrative for the person running the get rich quick scheme and why that leads to financial ruin or disappointments uh, for people who invested in those kinds of things. So again, today I'm not going to, I mean, buy platinum coins if you want. I mean, that that is a real tip. I don't know. Take it or leave it. Uh, We'll we'll see. But that's not the point of this video. What is the currencies that I'm looking at here? Well, let me tell you a little story. It's a little sad story. It's a little bit of a boring, sad story. So, you know, if if you want to watch Netflix in the background, that's cool too. But let me explain. When I was 19, a long time ago, I, I moved to Sydney, Australia with my girlfriend and we were really broke students. We moved into this tiny one bedroom studio together and nearly killed each other because you shouldn't have two humans living that close, but that's all we could afford. And it was one of those rare times in my life where I actually had a routine. So both of us went to university. I went to Kung Fu classes. We both had part-time jobs and our schedules were pretty clear. Like we would go to classes. We knew we would be back at a certain time. We'd cook together, eat together because we couldn't afford to go out and we would cook our lentils and beans. And we were vegetarians at the time and tofu. Oh, I can't look at tofu ever again after that. And so we lived this very clear regimented life. And for some reason, I don't remember why, but we only had one key to to the studio. I think the landlord didn't trust us with more than one. And what happened was one day I came home from university knowing that my girlfriend would be there because I knew her class ended an hour before. And she had the key. And so we'd agreed, you know, that she would be home for us first to let me in. And I came and I knocked on our little, the door to our, to our, to our studio. So I had a punch in code to get in the building and, and knocked on the studio door and there was no answer. And I knocked and, wa- and, and knocked and waited. And there was actually a keyhole, right? So I looked through the keyhole and I could see it's just a tiny crack into the apartment. 
And my mind, mind started racing. I was, I'd, by now I was waiting outside the door for half an hour and I started freaking out thinking, fuck, what's happened to my girl? You know, she'd be kidnapped or fucking hurt or what's, what's going on? And, and you might be asking, well, why don't you call her on the mobile phone? Well, because it was 1999 and there was no such thing. Or if there was, it was only like rich businessmen in, who had car phones that were like this. Like, check it out, I'm so rich. And I'm what? So no, there was no way to contact her. And I spent, I think, two hours outside the front of that door. And in that time, I became a complete mess. I, I was convinced that she'd been kidnapped, raped, murdered. And I realized that I had nowhere to turn. I didn't know anyone else in that city at the time. I, I didn't, I mean, I couldn't call anyone. Uh, you know, I had a few bucks in my pocket, not, not enough to even call anybody. And there was, there was literally nothing that I could do. And I, I walked out on the street up and down and I was freaking out. And I remember looking at all the people walking by in this big, big metropolitan city, feeling so alone, feeling so disconnected and feeling like these people had no empathy for me and no understanding. There's no, no one that I could, like, I could deal with and I'm starting to imagine dealing with the police and trying to contact her parents and whatever. And it was just this, this sense of absolute powerlessness. I just didn't have any backup. Now, the good thing, the, you know, the, the happy ending to this story, it was no big deal. She, in the end, she was just off fucking some other guy. So it was no, it was no big problem. Uh, no, nah, that's, that's a joke. She was, she was, she was, went to, after, class drinks with a couple of friends from uni and although now I now that I think about that story maybe she was banging another dude anyway she survived and we got another key cut and moved on with life now fast forward to a few months ago I caught a train from Budapest to Vienna because I had a flight booked to fly out of Vienna because Budapest was locked down so uh, my flight was going to be the next day so I booked a hotel in Vienna caught the train uh, got a cab to the to the quite nice hotel, and walked in. I was like, hello, I'm here to check into my hotel for the night. And the Austrian lady said, excellent, welcome, Mr. Marshall. And so do you have your business papers with you? And I went, what? Business papers? Well, the regulations are at the moment, you, of course, must have a business reason for being in, in Vienna. There are no travelers, there's no tour, tourism. And I was like, uh, well, I have a business, but I certainly don't have any business papers saying that I have any particular reason to be in Vienna. I'm just catching a flight tomorrow. So... Don't worry about that. I'll just, you know, can I just check in now? And she's like, no, this is the rules. It's Austrian rules. You cannot stay the night. And I said, well, it's 10 p.m. and it's one degrees outside. Are you going to kick me out onto the streets? Like, are you saying that all hotels are like this? Yes. And Airbnbs? No Airbnbs. So you're going to put me on the street. This is the rules from the Austrian government. And I said, ah, fuck you and walked out. And then I walked out onto the street and it was freezing cold. And I thought, wow, am I going to have to spend the night on the streets in Vienna until the police pick me up? Like, I haven't done that since I was a teenager. And I went, aha, no, I remember. I'm extremely well connected. And I made one phone call. Within half an hour, I was in a cab and I was over at a friend of a friend's very nice apartment who had a bed for me and put me up for the night and, uh, and whose girlfriend fed me, and, and we had a lovely, lovely evening, actually, much better than in that hotel, so fuck you, Austrian Hyatt, or whatever you were, and then I went on my merry way the next day. So the, these two little anecdotes, people like, cool story, bro, <laughs> like, it's not the most interesting stories I have in my life. I've got an interesting story about a bar fight in Mongolia that I'll tell you about later, but that's irrelevant to everything except for an interesting story. The reason why these stories are relevant is they point towards the currencies that I'm talking about that really do 10x your life, right? Or, or, or on the other side, vastly minimize the pain and misery and, and negative things that can, that can happen in your life. 
And that is what I call the seductive economy, right? So this is looking at usually non-financial currencies that people trade and the bonds of trust and reciprocity. That's a hard word, isn't it? Reciprocity. Say it a few times. People are like, okay, I messed it up. Fine. Reciprocity. That draw people together and lead to multiplications of the results that those people can achieve. So you've probably heard the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I would say you would need to qualify that phrase further. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm. It's not what you know, it's who you know and what you know about who you know, firstly, because you could know somebody and not actually be curious enough or have good enough communication um, skills or rapport to actually find out what they really know. Right? And then I'll add another one. It's not what you know, it's who you know. No, hang on a minute. It's not what you know, it's what you know about who you know and do they give a shit about you and are they gonna help you with that? Right? Which doesn't fit on a bumper sticker quite as well but it is, it is more useful. Because if you have someone who knows something that's really important and you know about that and they want to help you, now you can multiply your effects in all, all areas of life depending on what it is that they know. And this, this is the currency that I'm talking about that will ultimately 10x your lifestyle. And it can also lead to financial um, success as well. In my life, I've had a number of financial wins and losses, but the ones where I multiple X'd my resources were not based on watching a YouTube video. They were not based on any kind of easy to find media. They were based on hot tips from insiders. Right, so people who really who were there early on or who were in, inside an industry and know how it actually works. Right, so for example, I mentioned Bitcoin at the beginning. Uh, there was, it, was, it would have been unlikely for a guy like me to, in the sense of an artistic dude who's interested in music and culture and history and traveling and sex to, if I'd kind of gone through the, the natural trajectory of my life where I just hung out with those kinds of people, it's very unlikely I would have come in contact with anyone who had any interest or knowledge in cryptocurrency early on. But because of my position as a dating coach, I have, over the last 12 years, I've met a whole range of men, usually, yes, mostly men, who have specialized skills and areas of knowledge in, in areas that I would never come in contact with otherwise. And because of my both my nature of curiosity, but also more importantly, my strategic ability to create bonds with people, I found out about stuff well in advance. So back in, what was it, 2010-ish or something, when, when Bitcoin was worth about a grand, I can't remember the exact year, you can check that out, but some many years ago, when it was, it was still new, it was only something that crypto purists and, and I'll say the word nerd in the, in the, with absolute affection because I too am a nerd of many things. Someone who is, who is really obsessed about stuff that people don't think is cool. Well, they're la who's laughing now? So I met a bunch of crypto dudes, early movers early on. And, and so started, people started talking about it. Now, at first I ignored it because I was like, what is that? That's nothing. That's a digital nonsense, I called it. Then Sasha, previous, the artist previously known as Sasha Daygame, who some of you may know, who was an early collaborator of mine, and an early seductive economy partner in the sense that he and I invested in each other, worked for each other, taught each other the skills that we had to, to multiply our personal effects. And as a result, we became very, very tight as, as friends. And so very early on, he was into it. And he was like, dude, 
you gotta buy Bitcoin, like put everything you've got into Bitcoin. I was like, I don't have much and I'm certainly not putting all of it into a digital nonsense, Sash, what are you talking about? He's like, trust me. I said, I trust you as a human being. I trust you implicitly. That doesn't mean you know about this thing. What is this? And he tries to explain it to me. I'm like, nah, nah. And now I regret it. No, because I, I ignored it for a little while and then various other people told me and then he's like, all right, just at least accept it as payment from students. And I went, okay, why not? So at some point, one student paid me, I think it was five Bitcoins for a workshop. At the time, was was five grand worth of workshopness. And I got those five Bitcoins and I still have them. So, so you do the maths on that. That's right, I'm retiring. No, okay, I'm not gonna retire on that. But out of that, I 30X'd over less than 10 years, 30X'd my investment, which I would not have known about if it wasn't for people on the ground early on. So, you know, you find out about it in the, new, in the mainstream, lamestream, mainstream media uh, years later, is it too late to do it? Well, often it is in those areas. Another example of, of where I tripled my investment was in real estate. Now, again, again I'm not a real estate specialist or, or investor. I'm not, not here to give you real estate advice, but I'm here to show you how the fundamentals of my lifestyle and people strategies have led me to, to be able to multiply my results far more than I could have done just by myself. Right? So when I first made my tentative moves to move to Europe in 2012, I rented a, a, an Airbnb, an apartment, of some local agency. And I met one guy and we became friends. He was the guy that rented the thing to me and I, I was new in town. I didn't really know anyone. So I was reaching out to try and make contacts. And he was a guy that was interesting. He was starting a small business in terms of uh, real estate investment. And uh, he was interested in me and we, we hung out and became friends. As a result, I got to know his business model, which was that he had on the ground contacts with all of the real estate agents in the center of the city in Budapest. And he would be the person that would get first options on apartments that came up for sale. And these would be ones that were in pretty ratty condition, but they were dead center, like the best possible locations in Budapest. And they were old and, and fucked up, but they were in amazing locations and they were big. And so he explained to me the way that he did that, what, what his business model was, was that he had a small group of private investors who were not multimillionaires, they were guys who had a little bit of capital throw around that he trusted and they, they trusted him. And when a great deal, he came across a great deal, he would get that investor to invest, buy the property and then pay for the renovations. And he would organize everything because he had amazing contacts with all the builders and plumbers and, and the, the legal aspects of doing that in Hungary. And he would uh, renovate them to a very, very high standard. And then he would sell them for between 40 to 50% increase in the value and then split the profit with the investor, right? So he guaranteed at the time, he guaranteed 22% return within 12 months, which, you know, if you know what, what you would get uh, putting money in the bank or in stocks or bonds, like that's a, that's a very large return and he guaranteed it and he followed through on it. And so as a result, he found me my dream apartment in the center of Budapest. I put all the money that I had in at the time and I bought it and I renovated it, and then I didn't sell it because I wanted to live in it. Fast forward, I think I've had that for six or seven years now. It's worth triple the amount that I put into it. Right? So I, I tr tripled my, my investment in way less than 10 years. Whereas if I'd been living in Australia and decided to try and invest in real estate there where the, pri the pricing 
the housing market is, is extremely overvalued and there's a huge massive bubble and you can't get anything basically for under a million bucks. You might be lucky to get a one bedroom shed for a million, you can't, you can't get anything less than that. So you're not, there's no way you're gonna triple your investment. In fact, what you're gonna do is you're going to be uh, in massive debt to the bank for the rest of your life to maybe eventually pay off this overvalued piece of property. So the reason that I won on that was, was a number of reasons. One was that I moved to an environment that was where my limited resources could get way more bang for the buck or bang, or bang for your, Hungarian foreign, as it was. The, the Australian-American British dream of owning your own house on a quarter-acre block was, was something that would mean being saddled with massive debt for the rest of your life, and it wasn't, wasn't really what I perceived to be investment. Maybe it's something you pass on to your kids and they benefit from it, but it wasn't going to really benefit me in my life. And so I decided early on, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to invest whatever resources I have into this country. And so as I traveled the world and started making more connections with people, meeting different people, starting to, to be on the ground and say, okay, what is it like here? Oh, I see that there is a rising housing market in this particular city at that particular time. It's not, it's different now, but it, at that time it was exploding. Prices were cheap, were going up fast. A lot of people were coming in to buy, buy high luxury properties from Russia and China and Arab states because they wanted to have a backdoor into Europe and so on. And so I was there, right place, right time. But again, if I'd done that by myself, because I could have gone to a, a real estate agent and bought something, could have done that. But I would have gotten screwed on the uh, renovation and all, the, all of the red tape dealing with the bureaucracy because I don't know that country and I don't know how to not get fucked by contractors, right? But trying to figure out builders as I'm like, hello, I am a, I'm a Westerner. And they're like, all right, we're going we're gonna to 5X our profits right now by charging you five times what it is and doing a shitty job because how do you know, right? So but because I had someone on the ground that I trusted and I didn't trust him day one. I spent months hanging out with him. He, he took me around to his properties. He showed me how it worked. I got to see him in relation to not just me, but to other people. And like even things like how he treated the waiter and how he treated his, his family, which he introduced me to. And I came to see that this was a true gentleman in the old school sense. This was a man whose uh, word was his bond and his business model was based around mutual benefit. It was simply that the, the lower that he could get the, the price of the apartment and the lower that he could have the price of the renovations, the higher the margins of profit were for both parties. So he was, he was highly invested in saving money for me to make money for both of us. And uh, as a result, I, I watched it for a while. I didn't jump in straight away. I think I spent you know five, six months hanging out with him and, and seeing how it was. And then when I was like, all right, this is a big risk because I did, this was all I had at the time. But I see that I have seen proof that this works, and so I'm going to go for it. And as a result, it did work. Right. So these are just a couple of, ex of little examples from my life where I got to I got really big wins, multiples multiples of my investment wins, based around what I call the seductive economy. Right. So the the trade of non financial currencies, personal interpersonal currencies between two or more people, with the with the aim of everybody winning. I would say since around the release of Tim Ferriss' iconic book, The 4-Hour Workweek, there has been a, this new kind of archetype developed of a successful male, right? So throughout recent history, the what it meant to be a successful male in the 80s was cocaine and Wall Street, hookers, suits, big lapels, nice, one of those cold business cards, yeah? And it, or... You know, in the, the 50s, it would have been the upstanding man in the, in the suburbs who, you know, worked, worked in, a, in an office and went home to his 
wife and 2.5 kids and, and a Chevrolet. Is that what they had in the 50s? I don't know. But there's this, there's this new archetype which has become extremely popular and, and it seems very, very appealing, which is the idea of the digital nomad, the lifestyle entrepreneur, the guy that works out some system of creating wealth and theoretically a better lifestyle, which is kind of a turnkey thing that you set it up, you work really hard for a short period of time, you set it up and you press go, and then it just cashes, gives you cash. And for four hours a week, you check in and basically you just check in to go, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize I got so much richer this week by doing nothing. And, and, and correlated to this type of lifestyle is a lot of good things, right? So it, would, it was about hacking. It was about being more effective. It was about uh, optimizing all sorts of areas in your life, including your health and your sleep and your time management and your finances and your location dependence and so on, so that you could create essentially leverage, which is something that I, I think is, is amazing. And that archetype has, has spawned countless numbers of men and women who are now working remotely or working way less or unplugged from their nine to five and figured out ways to generate um, passive income or, or side hustles and so on. So it is, it is a way better one than the cocaine and hookers and 80s greed is good kind of archetype of what it means to be successful. I think it's a, an interesting one, but it is also, I feel, missing out on some of the key components that really lead to multiples, to multiples of your success. Because if you've read the four hour work week or looked at any kind of digital nomad or lifestyle entrepreneur kind of courses or, or resources, very rarely does it, I haven't even seen it happen, does it talk about collaboration in any other way other than outsourcing things to virtual assistants, for example. So, okay, like, you know, okay, you may have a team working for you, but they're not, they're not really a team in a the sense. They're, they are contractors that do jobs for you and you pay them. So the aspect, like all, all of this is hyper-individualist. It's really looking at this as like a single, a single person single man or single woman can set up their turnkey online business and then end up living in Bali, going like this on the laptop a little bit, and then what? Sipping coconut juice and doing and surfing, okay? Which as a snapshot, like I think you need to be wary of like when anyone's selling your lifestyle, there's always kind of a snapshot of what it looks like, right? And so there's like, there's the guy on the beach in Bali or Thailand with a laptop, just living the dream. All right, that's that's a better office than being in a tiny cubicle, right? But what's going on for the rest of that person's life? Are they, are they actually, is the business actually working? Because that can be dubious to see if that actually is true, but let's assume it is. What are they not getting, right? Are they, do they, what, what do they have? Do they have a community? Do they have collaborators? Do they have women in their lives? Because I saw, I didn't, never saw a woman around Tim Ferriss. Maybe he was just keeping her quiet. And, uh, a lot of these kind of lifestyle entrepreneurs seem to be pretty kind of solitary and not really having relationships, who knows, but that, that was the impression I got. But without the ability to actually connect with other people in a way that goes well beyond just having drinking buddies or, you know, going to network meetings where you hand, we exchange contacts and say, let's do a deal sometime. No, I'm talking about true tribe members, true brothers and sisters on the path True people who have your interest at heart and are willing to give you those tips, help you out in ways that they wouldn't just publicly give all that information out to, to make sure that you benefit as well as them benefiting. This is this is what is missing, I think, in this archetype of the of the hyper individualist can get it all done by yourself kind of 
you know, like modern archetype of a, of a successful man. In my case, almost nothing that I have ever achieved has been done completely alone, right? Like a, I, can't, I can't think of anything that I've, that I've really gotten good at or that's given me really great results where it was just me, just me and a laptop or just me with my one skill or my one hustle. It, it just didn't work like that. And even though I'm the face of this company, there is and has been a huge number of collaborators who have worked with me from the very beginning to, to make this successful. So I'm not a like lifestyle entrepreneur who, who sits on a beach or in my farm in Portugal by myself uh, doing it all remotely. I have had partners along the whole trip. And the thing that has held us together, and it hasn't held all of us together all the time, I've certainly lost people and had breakups along the way, but the thing that has held us together over time and has meant that not only I, but everyone else in the crew benefits has been this idea that I have lived by for, for a long, long time of the seductive economy. I have this attitude, which is the best way to get what you want is to make sure that everyone around you is getting what they want. Right? And that's, I guess, in a nutshell, that's kind of nepotism, but this is, these are the facts of life is that people help people that they love and respect and, and get benefit from. And if you want to be a, a great leader or you want to be someone who, who is able to use the resources and the knowledge of other people, then you need to be able to make sure that they are getting what they want or some, in some way as a result of being close to you. And look, this, this happens organically. Like I, I, have, I have this course, the Lifestyle Design Academy, and I have this system, the Seductive um, Economy System, but it's not something I invented. It's something that I codified and have worked out ways to vastly accelerate what, what can and often is an organic, be an, an organic process. Because it's quite likely that you've, I mean, very, very likely that you have used this at some point in your life. And if you think about your closest friends, the reason that you consider them to be, if you have them, I hope, I hope you've got some. If, uh, if you do consider them to be really, really close, it's not because you have the same interests necessarily. It's not because you were bought, bought up in the same town or you're of the same demographic necessarily. It's more to do with the shared experiences that you've had over time and the type of those experiences. Because you've probably had this experience where you've been in a social circle or a work situation or a study situation and you had this, this gang that you hung out with or a couple of people you hung out with after work drinks or you know, waiting for class and uh, this kind of loose, easy to, easy to put together social experiences. But then once the course is over or the job changes or someone leaves, those relationships just dissipate. That's because they weren't friendships. They were just hangouts of convenience with maybe, maybe you really liked each other and you found each other funny and pleasant and interesting and you vibed, but you didn't have any real shared investment in each other. And so as a result, when the thing that held you together stopped, you fade off and go off into becoming Facebook friends. How do you know when someone is really tight with you, when they're, your, when they're a real brother, when they're your best friend, for example? Those kind of relationships develop because of reciprocal altruism or reciprocal trade of non-financial usually and maybe financial currencies. You help your buddy out with moving house. He helps you out with getting over this girl that you're all cut up about. You help him, you know, study for his exam because you're better at that than he is and vice versa, right? So these things accumulate over time and the investments in each other they have to cost a little bit for the person giving. Like it kind of has to be, it kind of has to hurt a bit, right? Like if I go and help a friend move an entire house, that's a hassle for me, right? Like that's, that's, that's me putting myself out for that person, which means that it's, that's a, that it's a real investment of time and energy. 
And if I did this this for a person where they just only called me up to, to get favors off me, the only time I heard from them was to have favors, I might do that some number of times because I liked them and we were friends. But after some time, I would start to feel like this was a very imbalanced relationship that I was being taken advantage of. And if I was a really nice guy, then I might just put up with it for years and years and then eventually explode with violence uh, or just hold resentment. Or if I was a more direct and straightforward person, I would go, hang on a minute, this person's just taking off me, so I'm going to downgrade or, or this relationship or, or end it altogether. The bonds of, of, of trust and trade happen when it's not an exact ledger. It's not like I bought you a coffee and now you better buy me one when we just keep that exactly cent for cent. No, it's more like, okay, whatever resources I have, knowledge, lo- location, car, you know, access to social circles, access to really important information and so on and so on. This is then traded with the person or the other collaborators that then trade back, give, give me things that I need from them and that they are better at or have um, more access to. And as a result, over, over a number of those trades, we, we build this friendship. And that's why usually if you have a, a best friend, it's someone that you knew for a very long time because that takes time to build those layers of trust to the point where you're like, I really got your back, bro, no matter what. So these things do happen organically and that can be up to the luck of who happens to be around you, how social you are, how socially capable you are, how much you get this sense of like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine and how much or less you are a sociopath who just takes off people. Or on the other side, how much you are or not a super nice guy who just lets people take from you. So in order to accelerate this process, you need to actually dissect it and understand it. And that's what I've done with the seductive econ- uh, economics system. Instead of it just being like, okay, maybe over five plus years with someone, I, I make this amazing connection with them. I've worked out ways that we can speed that up to happen within sometimes a phone call, right? Or it might be some weeks or it might be some months, but it's a, it's a very, very rapid version of this. It's, it's the hydroponic um, skunk version of the natural way that this might happen. This actually happened just, just last night. I was on a phone call with um, a guy that's very wealthy, very well connected in this, this space, this, this industry. I can't say who it is, but uh, you know, a big player who I got introduced to by one of my main collaborators who is an excellent seductive economics infiltrator and who had found this contact and found out that this guy was really interested in the thing that I'm really good at. One of the things that I'm really good at, which is platinum and coin investment. Now, if you sign up my course, I can do it, which happens to be at this time, BDSM and kinky sexuality. So we got on a call last night and we just did a trade, right? He knows way more about business than me. I know way, way more about spanking and choking and nasty things than he. And, and so we riffed and we spent four hours last night, just giving each other stuff that was of value to each other. He was also looking to uh, relocate to Europe and trying to figure out how to work the visa system there. I know this system here, at least at least in some of the countries. And so I was able to just say, here, call this lawyer. She's a boss and she's fucking hot too. Kind of too hot to be my lawyer, actually. Like it's a bit too hot. But uh, anyway, hot lawyer in Hungary. She can sort you out and getting a short-term visa, no problem. And, this, and he'd been researching for days and weeks trying to figure out like online what which which visa system works and which oh hang on they say that one does and this one doesn't and i was like no i have on the ground information i've done it and i've helped my friends do it all of us have used this this system in in this location and all of us have gotten visas without any problems super fast so i can pass that information on to him we now have a sense of being indebted to each other after one long phone call we started to create 
the initial bonds of both friendship, trust, and reciprocity. We have both benefited massively from that one phone call. And as a result, both of us are going to be wanting to continue this relationship and help each other get rich in different ways, right? Whether that, whether that is he helps me more with business, I help him more with his relationship life uh, and the various other things that no doubt we'll find out over time that we're, we're into. And as a result, we may or may not, but it's, it's much more likely that he and I will become what is actual, actual friends, right? Not just people, acquaintances, not just people that we will put together in, in class with, and not only just the people that we went to high school with and the, you know, your original crew, this is a way that as a grown man, it can, be, it can be sometimes really weird and difficult to make a new friend. How do you go and pick up a new friend as a guy when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s? Because in uh, you know, high school and college and the younger, younger years when people are dynamic and they're not tied down and they don't yet have kids and mortgages and wives and, and huge responsibilities and they want to meet people like that, there's a, there tends to be a social blossoming in your, in your younger years for most people, not all, but, but many. And then very commonly what happens is after this explosion of, of networking, which, which is kind of happening intuitively for most people or to better and worse degrees, then what happens? You settle into some space, right? So now this is your job. And so you hang out with your coworkers and the few friends that you had left over from high school and or the local sporting team or whatever kind of localized and kind of arbitrary group based around what it is that you do, right? And, and then as your responsibilities maybe increase and you, you have to work more and then maybe you get a girlfriend and then you move in together. And, and like I saw this happen for me and for many guys in their later 20s is that the social world dramatically and rapidly shrunk from being a thing where you may know dozens or hundreds, maybe if you're a social butterfly, people to really only interacting with a handful. And, and over time, that can, that can keep diminishing and diminishing, going down to a very small core group of friends and family. And, and that's not like an awful thing. It's kind of you know how humans group themselves in, in modern times. We're not in, involved, usually, most of us, in a village where we have where we, we know all 300 people and we, we're kind of interconnected because of the festivals and the, and the raising of barns and the fighting off of intruders and whatever it is that you did in that small, small, style, small scale but still numerically quite large social group. The fact that most, mostly we are nuclear families or where uh, you, know, you can live in a building with 500 other people and never meet them, this, it doesn't just happen organically that you keep growing in your social world. And this is not just about parties and having fun and how many friends you have, which is, is important, especially if you're a guy who wants to improve your seductive lifestyle. I'll get onto that in a moment. It's not just about like the fun and the, and the having friends. It's about what does those friendship networks create? Because another problem that a lot of particularly guys that are my audience who are usually technically minded guys that are in fields where there's typically not a lot of women and most of the people they work with, let's say a lot of my students are engineers, tech guys, finance guys, uh, doctors, lawyers. These are often guys who are surrounded by men. Okay. So it's not easy to just meet women through the social, through their work or through the extended social network out of it because there ain't none. Or if they are, there's not enough. And the ones that are there are, you know, except for my boss, hot lawyer, God damn it, if, and no, you can't have a number. The other issue is that typically those social groups are pretty homogenous, right? Pretty much similar types of people in, in terms of, okay, you both, if, you're, if all of you are 
in tech, for example, you, you probably think in similar ways. You have similar levels of intelligence and of, of a particular type of intelligence, right? So you may be way above normal intelligence when it comes to problem solving or mathematics or tech things. That's all the tech words I could think of at the moment because clearly I'm not that. But in terms of being like social connectors or emotionally intuitive or truffle pigging, which is a term I heard recently, which is the idea of a truffle pig, truffle, very expensive mushroom, pig trained as a truffle pig, sniffs out the truffles that are hidden in the forest. And then the Italian guy goes, oh, it's a beautiful truffle. I sell it for 1,000 euro. Um, Truffle pig being someone who can sniff out opportunities that other people wouldn't necessarily see. Someone who like, who's a good reader of character and, 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 and spots these kind of things and then goes, goes and makes networks with them. So you and your crew may be very, very like well above average in terms of certain things, but, but you don't have an X-Men team, right? You don't have a, a, a variety of different abilities and connections and networks to then feed into each other and into the crew to then have multiplying effects. And this is, this is a, a big problem. I feel anyway, if you want to expand your lifestyle, right? Because if you want to, to actually design a life, like this concept of lifestyle design, it's, it's something that is tr- strategic and it is based around certain goals. Most men are, even if they don't do it yet, are at least aware of and conscious of the idea that they should be thinking about their financial future and their career, right? So they will, they will study things in order to, to, move on to a certain type of work in order to accrue a certain type of wealth and maybe to invest it in a certain type of way in order to be stable and secure and hopefully thrive. Some of us do that very well. Some of us do it less well, but it's, it's, there's be few men that are not aware of that as a concept and don't think that's at least intellectually a good idea. But this is only one form of, of currency, one form of payoff. It doesn't account for, for all the other metrics of happiness because happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment does not come just from having a secure financial situation, right? Many studies have proven that what is, what actual happiness is, is around, yeah, okay. If you have your, your needs met, you got a roof over your head, you're fed, you can go on holiday a few times a year. You can buy things that you want when you want them, as long as they're not Maseratis. Uh, you know, you have a certain level of economic strength which makes you feel secure and that's very important and particularly in this day and age when there is so much insecurity, it is, it is something that is a massively, massively important piece. But what else makes you happy? It's the people around you, right? It's, it's your networks, it's your tribe, it's your lovers, your friends, your family. The, the nourishing experiences that you have of, of shared enjoyment and also of shared heartbreak or, or shared disaster, right? Because it's like you're going to need those people for the good times and the shit times. Right? I'm, I'm very grateful for the network that I have built over the last 10 years last year because 2020 was a shitty. It was a fucker shit. It wasn't a good a fuck right? for pretty much everyone out there. It really massively tanked my business for a while and uh, you know threw my lifestyle out But and, and everyone around me, but me and my crew rallied fast and ended up not doing as well as we did in 2019, but pretty good last year, right? It was still a good year, right? We had to go lean. We had to, you know, cut costs. We certainly earned less money, but we didn't, it didn't destroy the business. 
and it didn't destroy the, the friendship networks. In fact, everyone threw in what they could and what they had in order to keep everyone else afloat. And I had an apartment in Budapest, which I was like, all right, dudes, go and stay in that and don't pay rent for a bit because otherwise you'll be homeless. You know, people, we gave each other advice, comfort, uh, listened to each other, whinge and whine when that was needed, fed each other, hooked each other up with alternative sources of income or, or work if, 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 I, if it couldn't come through TNL and so on. And so as a result, the overall network and tribe survived and I wouldn't say, I mean, thrived in the sense that we're, we're, still, we're still solvent. The business exists and everyone still gets to do the thing that they love to do. So I think if you're, if you're a guy who's being strategic about your life, which most people who come to this, to this uh, channel are to some degree because they're looking at, all right, I want to optimize my dating life initially is why guys come. But then as you start to unplug from one piece of the matrix, right, which is the, the, the dating one, which says that you, what is that, me pulling the tube out of a small Neo in front of me. Um, once you start unplugging from the general consensus advice on how to get a lady or a woman's attention, which is generally pretty shit, and you start saying, okay, I'm, I'm, there, there are better ways to do that. Not inevitably, but fairly likely that you would also look at, okay, are there other things areas of the matrix that I can unplug from other areas of commonly held beliefs, which maybe they work on the broad scope for the, for the massive of a country's population, for example, but do they really help the individual? Is it really the best thing to, to study for X years to getting to a nine to nine job that's going to grind your soul away just with the promise of one day, you know, retiring with a decent pension fund when you're 65 or 70 or 75, depending on how, how, what it's like when we're old. Is that really the answer to fulfillment and happiness? For some people, yes. But for many, the guys that are curious about the entrepreneur, uh, the, the lifestyle entrepreneur or the digital nomad, or they're starting to claw time and resources back from the man so that they can enjoy more of them, then this, this start, you start to un wish to and start to figure out ways to unplug from all these things. The reason why I've been able to live a lifestyle which was actually very precarious, like I don't have a pension fund and I never really, I never really had an employer. I've bounced around multiple different countries. I've lived in all sorts of different places where I didn't speak the language, didn't understand how it worked, the culture, the bureaucracy, etc. I've lived a really, what looks like on the outside, a very risky life. But when I think about it, if I'd stayed in Australia and followed the course of what I was kind of doing early on, that would have been the massive risk for me. Maybe by now I would have been saddled with a massive debt for, for a place that wasn't really going to benefit me. I would have been stuck in one place. I wouldn't have been able to have all the amazing adventures and love affairs and bar fights in Mongolia and all the other wacky stuff that I've got to do. And I feel like my, my personal enjoyment and my sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness would have been way, way less. And that's a massive risk. That's the risk that really matters. Right, is, is that am I risking wasting my life? Am I risking an unhappy and unfulfilled and, uh, and eternally overworked and isolated life by the course of, of the choices that I'm taking or the, the lifestyle that I'm designing consciously or unconsciously? Because you are designing it day by day, whether you're aware of it or not. When you become aware of it, you can start to change the metrics and start to reach out and uh, plug into different social circles bring in different collaborators, build tribes so that you and then the tribal members can multiply your effects. How does this relate to women? Because this is not just about making best friends. <laughs> there are ways that you can use the seductive economy 
frameworks to attract lovers into your life uh, and to make it a lot easier for them to want to be with you, right? Because there are, there are kind of two ways to draw women and hold women into your life, regardless of whether it's by apps or whatever. But it's one is to meet women individually. So cold approach or, okay, swiping and liking, which I don't, I don't touch that kind of shit, but okay, there, people do do it. But it's like going out and finding a woman, right? And trying to use your charms and uh, to seduce her. And then you bring her into your bed and your life and, uh, and you're done. Cool. And then if you want to, and if that ends or you want another one, then you go out and you do it, do it again. It's kind of like working hour for dollar, right? So if you stop working, you stop going and meeting girls or stop going on dates, then you stop benefiting from that. The other, the other way that people have, have tried to ingratiate themselves with ladies is by building a kick-ass social circle where women want to go to it, right? So by, I don't know, owning a club or being a club promoter or throwing big parties, creating a social network where there are lots of women involved, right? Which is, which is also valid, right? And that, that can work. Both of these things can and do work uh, to greater or lesser degrees, depending on your skill and depending on the networks that you have. The best way or the most effective way to draw women and keep them into your life is to combine those two, right? Is to have the ability to go out into the, well outside of your social world and meet women through cold approaching or I guess through online dating, uh, but to use your, your personal seduction skill to, to go and make this happen. And then to draw that woman into the social network that you have. Because in general, it's not a great idea to be trying to pick up girls in your immediate social scene. Right. And that's back before Tinder. I remember back in the early, earlier days when I was growing up, that always happened. Like guys would, if there was one cute girl in the social circle and the, the couple broke up, then immediately the guy's friends were hitting on her. And there was always like this incestuous mess of people trying to pick up within the social circle because there was so much scarcity happening. They didn't, the guys usually didn't have any other way to meet girls. It was just like, oh, well, there's three, ho- three cute girls in our social scene. So I'll just wait my turn right? or, or worse. Very, very limited view. It's like as if you were, everyone was living in a village of six in an episode of Friends, right? Friends being a good example of the 90s show of that kind of scarcity, like that they are incestuously banging within, the, within their crew. But when you, when you have the ability to go out, meet girls, and then bring them to a social network that is attractive, that has a whole bunch of currencies, which the girl appreciates, which is fun and excitement and feeling accepted and who knows what else, what are, what are the bells and whistles that you guys have access to certain social scenes or, or a cool clubhouse, you know, uh, with a ping pong machine or something. What are, one of those, one of those, what is that called? Pinball. Pinball. And it shows how old I am because that's when I last played and you had to go like this, boing, to shoot the ball. I think they just shoot by, by magic now, the magic of electricity. Uh, yeah, so even if, yeah, having a clubhouse. <laughs> so it's like the best thing is if I meet a girl out, out on the street and I, and I invite her to a social event where I have social proof, I'm a cool guy in that scene, people like me, and my wingmen and wingwomen are trained to assist me, not to cockblock me. Right, so they will. They make me look good. They they welcome the girl in without being flirty, uh, and so the girl comes into the situation. And goes, wow, this is a cool crew. I like these people are great, and he's well respected within this. I'm more attracted to him, and it's going to make the whole seduction a lot easier because, in a way, your your whole crew is helping to assist to attract the girl. Right, so that's that's the dynamic that 
that I prefer to work on with, with seduction. I've done countless hours of me alone cold on the street or in bars going and crafting my skill and learning the cold approach skill, which is, which is irreplaceable. The ability to go up to a stranger and, and make them attracted to you or respect you to, or like you, or depending on what it is that you want out of the person, is paramount. You can't replace that with owning a club because even if you own the club and you never approach, you don't know how to seduce. The best case scenario is you get some kind of gold digger chick who, who wants just the prestige of being with you but doesn't actually like you as a person. So the dynamic formula is that ability to build exceptional social circles, which may, may also organically draw in women that you may end up hooking up with. Maybe not, I would hope not, I would suggest not the inner circle, but like the outer circle of people coming in and out. Yeah, that can be a great dynamic for meeting women. But if you can supercharge that with you and or your other collaborators bringing girls into the scenario, then this is where seduction starts to create, where it starts to create social passive income or social uh, sexual passive income, right? Where, where you can become someone who is uh, well-established enough in a scene and there's people being drawn in by you and other collaborators enough that you don't have to always go out cold and, and do the thing of like, hi, I'm just some random dude and I'm here trying to do my thing and hopefully you think that's cool. You can let your social network do a lot of the work for you. So if this all sounds interesting, then I want to tell you about the Lifestyle Design Academy. Uh, approximately a year ago, it was uh, early in the pandemic, I set up the first Lifestyle Design Academy. And this is something that I had been working on in my mind and working on in with private clients for many years. I never had, a, I never had time to put it together as a complete course because I was always traveling and, and coaching and, and getting in bar fights in Mongolia and doing other weird, weird stuff and chasing girls. But the uh, blessing in disguise of being locked at this farm during the original lockdown gave me the, the time to sit down and codify this and put this out to the world. And because that was the only kind of teaching that I could do at the time, it was where I poured all of, all of my coaching creativity and resources in for a, for a very compressed and intense period of time and then put this course together. It ended up being the most successful course that I've ever run, an online course at the, the biggest audience. Uh, and in terms of the results for the guys over the over the year, it's been really amazing. They've built a, a, a really tight network of guys who meet online, but also have met offline, who've created lifestyle design projects, everything from moving countries and setting up growth houses where there were crews of guys would get together you know, in different cities around the world, move in together, work on social business, seduction projects, um, guys figuring out how to unplug from their nine to five or from their location dependent lifestyles and, and to be able to move towards and some, some many of them actually being able to reach success with that, that they have been able to move to different countries and, and work from there and, and create a totally different lifestyle. And also for a lot of the guys that came on who were already digital nomads or lifestyle entrepreneurs, because it did attract quite a lot of those, those guys got to see how to move just beyond the, the business aspect, how to be in a, what it's like to be in a country where you don't know people. Maybe it's beautiful island paradise, but if you don't know people and they don't respect you and like you and want to help you out, it's just lonely. It's just not as not much fun. Being the guy on the beach with the coconut gets old when you don't have friends and lovers around. So helping lots of guys to, to supercharge that four-hour work week thing that they've reached some levels of success with and to be able to then multiply those effects by moving into and galvanizing their networks. So I'm going to be re-releasing the Lifestyle Design Academy this year. On the 14th of March, we'll, I will open enrollments. 
And these enrollments are open for seven days and after that they close. And that is because, as I said before, this is not a dump of videos where I'm like, here's, you know, here's the stuff, watch it. These are live lectures that I do week by week. There's an eight week accelerator course where I go into massive depth on the seductive economic system. And these lectures, originally I promised two hour lectures and they became four and five hour lectures because that's the way I am. Once I start ranting and I get start getting feedback and questions from guys, uh, then I just keep going. <laughs> so the, yeah, the, the, the core content is eight times, what's eight times four, eight times five, 40 at least. <laughs> okay, at least 40 hours of live um, lectures where I'm there with you every week going through the material. And then I give you very specific missions to, to go each week to work on different areas of lifestyle design. And yes, these can be done even in lockdown because that's what we had to work with last year. I know there's different situations in different countries uh, you know, some places are totally locked. Some places are completely open. New Zealand's like, all right, bro, because like they foxed it. Whereas the rest of you guys fucked it up. So it doesn't doesn't really matter if you're right now your your city or location is locked down because a lot of the lot of the networking and the reaching out can be done online, and this is the realities of of the future for many people, at least in the short term. So yeah, you have weekly missions to to go through to start building your ideal lifestyle. And then you have a whole lot of accountability through the very dynamic and, and uh, like very active groups of guys who are there discussing these aspects all the time. There's also a huge library of awesomeness, which you'll see when we get to the launch. There's all sorts of bonuses that, that come along as well. It's a massive course. It's, it's extremely overpacked with value and uh, something I'm very proud of and, and was really happy to be able to finally put together and to see that it had such profound results uh, with the guys that joined. So if you'd like to stay up to date with the launch and if you'd like to get a sneak peek inside the content, you can get a, uh, I think it's a 30 minute video, which is a snapshot of just one of the multi-hour lectures. So you can say, okay, this is what 30 minutes of that is like. Imagine what four hours per week times eight plus six divided by two. It's a lot of shit. So <laughs> click the link below, put your email in, you'll receive that video straight away. You'll also get access to uh, invite-only webinars, which I'm going to be running in the lead-up to the launch, and you'll get first access to the course when it comes. So I hope that uh, rant today was useful to you, got you thinking in maybe different directions about what it means to be successful, and maybe gets you starting to think about doing like kind of an autopsy on what is your what is your social network like? And that's one of the initial missions that we do is we really break down what is your social world like where, what kinds of people do you have in terms of inner circle, trusted collaborators, in terms of contenders, people who are, who are sort of in the orbit, but you haven't yet made real links with and how to reach out to those people and, and make them. And then your Facebook friends or Instagram followers, essentially the, the loose group of acquaintances that you have, which really, they're not friends. They don't really provide much value except maybe liking your photo and padding a party or something. But a lot of us have a lot of those people and a very small inner circle that's kind of static and not much else. They don't have, there's not a dynamic new flow of people coming in and out, collaborating, working on different um, projects and parties and seductive events or, or, so, or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And as a result, your lifestyle, as I explained earlier, tends to stagnate and then and does tend to, tend to atrophy over time, which is something that is kind of inevitable unless you're extremely well-connected and extremely social kind of butterfly person, which I know you're not. 
Statistically, you're not. You know why I know that? Because we know that almost everyone watches the, who watches TNL videos are introverts, uh, like me. Yeah, you probably statistically, you're probably not the guy that's if walks into a room, you go and introduce yourself to everybody and is really able to make those connections really uh, easily. It's not necessarily in your nature as it's not in mine. And this is why, one of the reasons why I think you do need to be strategic as a guy who's maybe a bit more cerebral, a bit more uh, systems or analytical based and a bit more introverted and someone who finds it a little bit more difficult to socialize or make social connections, that you do need to be strategic about it because otherwise it won't, it just won't naturally happen. Whereas for some people that is their natural state. And so it does happen. So Lots more uh, coming up over the next few weeks. I'm going to be releasing a whole lot of videos on this topic of, of lifestyle design, which is which is a massive topic. There's, there's so many things that plug into that. And that's what we we work on in at the LDA. I work through my, my system, but I also open it up to let the course adapt and change depending on the needs of the guys. So we, we've ended up working on all sorts of interesting projects with the guys that have come in that I didn't plan. The guys propose things. I'm like, all right, cool. This works within the framework of like, optimizing and multiplying and 10xing areas of your life. Cool, let's get onto that. So it's a, it's a really exciting dynamic course and I'm looking forward to mentoring another group of adventurers in 2021. So yeah, once again, click the link below. You get the free video straight away. You'll be put on the VIP list to be kept up to date with all the uh, announcements. Put the date in your diary, in your paper diary or your calendar. 14th of March is when we'll be releasing it. Only open for seven days, as I said, because it's a live course. And after that, there's, there's a one-week enrollment. And then on the 21st, 22nd or whatever it is, we get straight into lectures, eight weekly lectures. And then after that, there is 10 months of follow-up support, which means that this course is essentially a one-year mentorship program where you will have access to me and the, the inner circle of guys that have signed up for the 12 months. So I can help you to mentor you, mentor you through this uh, interesting to say the least, and certainly, you know, not predictable time in history where more than ever, so much more than ever, who you know, what you know about who you know, and do they give a shit about you and are they willing to help you matters. Aye. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.